Hi, if you'd like to learn how to take the Camino home with you, then you're in the right place. Hi, I'm Brendan Bolton and welcome to Project Camino, the podcast where I interview people from all over the world about their experiences on the Camino de Santiago pilgrimage walk in northern Spain. The podcast is about the walk itself, but most importantly, the lessons that are learnt by my guests when they're doing it and how they manage to take those lessons home with them when they get back to the reality of their everyday lives. So join me here on Project Camino and find out how our guests take the pilgrim life back home with them. I am here with Gerard and Ender Barry, who have an extremely interesting story to tell. As usual, I'm going to start the show with a statement about how I view the Camino and how this show relates to the pilgrimage. This show is about the Camino de Santiago pilgrim walk across northern Spain but it is about much more than that. It is a show about the lessons that are learned on the Camino and how people take them home with them when they get back to the real world. To me, the Camino is a wonderful metaphor for life. You only learn the lessons it offers when you let go of any preconceived ideas and you realize that the Camino doesn't give you what you want, it gives you what you need. So Gerard Nenda, what is your take on that? Starting the Camino, you have to learn to let go of so much. If you don't let go of things, the Camino can be very unpleasant at times. They can be trivial things such as fear of people snoring in a large dormitory or accommodation not being available at the end of the day. We started off apprehensive about that, but by the end of day three, we had able to dispel all those fears and all those worries. And that was one of the things, one of the big lessons we learned, which we brought back to ordinary life when we finished. The, the Camino is 30 days out of your normal lifestyle. Therefore, as you say, it's a microcosm of your big life. You can leave, you can leave behind most of your immediate worries when you start the Camino and then concentrate on the things that you, you would like to change in your life uh, using techniques such as mindfulness, meditation, and all these sorts of things. The silence and the tranquility as you're walking along, you block out all your worries. Mm-hmm. Um, my big fear at the beginning, I noticed that I was just petrified of bed bugs. I used to examine every mattress. <laughs> I was afraid to get into bed. And after that, I slept on mattresses that were torn. We slept in a disused bathroom one night. I got used to these men standing in front of my bunk with their hands on their hips in their undies, their little speedo undies. And <laughs> going down to the shower one night and went down to my clothes with my little tiny towel and I got into the shower, put my clothes on the floor and washed them, stamped on them and went to come back and I had no clothes to go back in so I came back with the little towel up to me. And luckily you only had about three or four um, male pilgrims there to watch you do that. Yes. I just went along by the wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as I said, the Camino gives us what we need, what we, not what we want, so to speak. You said in your blog that you felt you needed time to reflect when you finished the Camino before you could put it into words because you didn't want them just to be trite. Now that you've had a fair bit of time to reflect on the end of the Camino, so what did you learn? What were the lessons that you got? 
Well, first of all, I have to say that when we came back from the Camino, we were very, we were quite unsettled. Mm. We could not settle back into everyday life. We just missed the peace. It was hard. Yes. We just wanted, after we got to uh, Santiago de Compostela, we just wanted to keep walking. We were in that frame of mind. We are so relaxed. Maybe we're tired, but we were relaxed in our mentally relaxed. And we just wanted to keep that mental state going. I'm glad that you mentioned that because the more people I interview, the, the differences in their mindset when they finish the Camino, some people, it's astounding, some people are really relieved, some people are exhausted, some people are massively emotional, some people are like yourselves, really happy and relaxed and just want to keep walking. And I remember I've interviewed another person who felt it was a bit of a letdown when they eventually got to the end of the, of the Camino, but they contacted me after we did the interview and they said, well... I now realise that the Camino wasn't the end at Santiago. It was just another step in the journey that the Camino taught you. So when you got back to Australia, how did you deal with that feeling of being unsettled? What, what did you do? I've been doing a lot of writing and giving a lot of talks with Ender's Health about our experiences on the Camino. And I've written things now that I couldn't have written when we first came back. And one thing that came to mind is the sculpture of the Iron Horseman, which you go past uh, shortly after leaving Pamplona. I think everyone takes their photograph of that and moves on, but I, I got the photograph out the other day and I just sort of meditated on those Iron Horsemen for just one hour. That's something I couldn't have done at the time. And, and you can see all the stories, you can read into that sculpture all the stories about why those people were doing their Camino just by the way they're, they're, they're facing, the way they're walking. They, they've all got different styles. And, and that only came out after we had done the Camino that you could see that. In your blog, you talk about, your quote was, let us always be like the Iron Horseman and set our face resolutely on where yeah. we are intended to go and not mm. let ourselves be distracted by the noise and threats mm. of seemingly giant problems that threaten us. And mm. I found that really pertinent because as a coach, I deal with a lot of people and fear is the biggest thing that stops them from doing what they want. And I love the fact that you put in seemingly giant problems into that quote because everybody's problem is the biggest in the world when you talk to them. And how did you find the Camino allowed you, as you said, to discard unimportant thoughts and let the small irritations pass by? How have you been able to take that from the Camino into your life back in Australia? Well, I've actually found it rather easy um, I've got to say that and a preference to what I was like two years ago before I started the Camino. Two years before I started thinking about the Camino, I suffered a lot with anxieties. And I was taught the techniques of mindfulness and meditation by a very good uh, psychologist. And I'd been working on those two techniques throughout two years. So I started the Camino well prepared mentally for it. And I could see why he was teaching me those techniques as I was walking the Camino. And even though I had them working successfully at the time, once I finished the Camino, I could see how powerful those techniques had become for me. Okay, so meditation and mindfulness, is yeah. that what you're talking about? That's very much so. And, and that comes out in those Iron Horsemen. That's why I mentioned the Iron Horsemen. I think there are about five people there. The last two in that group, and they're separated from the previous ones by a short distance. I think the artist has done that for a reason. 
those guys are walking upright. I think they're mindful of what's going on around them. The others are dead set on getting to Santiago as quickly as possible. They're mindful. They're aware that the, those troubles are there, the worries are there in the giant windmills, but they're able to dismiss their worries and sort of acknowledge that they're there, not be judgmental and get on with what they're doing. And, and that's what I try to model myself in those last two of those iron horsemen. With regards to your Camino that you did in 2016, for the benefit of our listeners, can you talk us through your motivation for doing it with regards to the um, East Timorese uh, village of Maliana? Can you tell yeah. us a bit? Can you tell us a bit about that, please? Well, I'm not. I was before I met Jared. I wasn't a good walker. I'd drive to the, the shop. 50 metres down the road. Um, my family said, oh, Enda, you'll never do it. Then I met Jared and I started walking because he was a very, you were a very good walker. He did long walks. And we did an awful lot of training beforehand. And I said, well, I, wa- I needed something to motivate me to going. I said, if I'm going to do this, which I think I, I felt I couldn't do, if I'm going to do 800 kilometres... If I'm not brought back be- dead, I'm going to have to have something to walk for. I'm not doing it just for the, you know. So we looked around, and in our parish there was this uh, social justice group, and they uh, have reports out of what they do in Maliana and how the people need it so much. So we decided that we would walk for Maliana. And when I found that the going was going tough I would think of them I, and I, I don't know whether I would have ever made it if I hadn't got Maliana there because I felt we did the blog so they could follow us and you know kind of support us but there's many a time I sat down and said I'm, I want to go home yeah. <laughs> and because when we were training and we do 20 30 kilometer or never but I'd say oh god that's only one day I've got to do 800 kilometers of this I, I'm not going to be able to do it and I must say that doing it for Maliana I thought of when I when it got really bad like once in this little we found a little shell of a garage in the middle of nowhere and we went in and it was raining outside and I had my big red my red balloon, as my sister called it, my poncho on, and I said to Jared, I'm sitting down here, not moving. And I sat down, and Jared points at the wall and says, Enda, look at the sign. And it said, this is an act of asbestos check. <laughs> I don't care what it is, I'm not moving. <laughs> It'd be a happy release. And I can say, you know, having them there and know that I was helping somebody by doing it. And when I did, my first big obstacle was going over the Pyrenees. I never, I used to wake up in the bed in, with nightmares thinking of the Pyrenees. I'd never, I, I, you know, and when I got over that, gave me a bit of courage. And by the time I got on, I was, it was so much easier. I've got to chip in here and say that Enda started off in fear and trepidation. She ended up a very strong person, walking wise. And she was able to outwalk me quite easily by the end of the Camino. Oh, you are lovely. <laughs> I, did, I did have to get injections into my feet 10 days before I started walking. I walked so much that I've got Morton's neuromas in my feet and I had to have steroids. So I went over on drugs. Oh, well, you know, whatever gets you through the night, so they say. 
Anyway, we, we, I think I mentioned that we were doing another Camino. We're leaving on March, starting walking on March 29 from Lepuy across to St. John. That's the Shemin's uh, St. Jacques, a uh, similar sort of distance. And again, we're going to do that. The title of our Camino is a, a, a Camino Walk with St. Vincent de Paul in mind. So we're raising some funds for the St. Vincent de Paul Society here on this walk. And that's a, a motivation. We're producing a daily journal um, in which we sort of took whimsical notes, observations, reflections, and prayers. Um, it's, a, it's a big smash of everything, but that will be published uh, on, online. But we hope to have quite a number of people following us as they did last year, and that's how we raised the money for Maliana. <laughs> well, we, we got a request that everybody said they love getting up in the morning and have, it wasn't a travel blog, it was more, you, you read it, more of a reflection, and this would be on the same lines. Yes. <laughs> My father used to have an ex expression that uh, with regards to age, that uh, a gentleman never asks and a lady never tells. So I won't direct this question to you. And uh, can you tell us your age, if you don't mind, please, Gerard? No, I'm, this is my 75th year and Ender's... <laughs> That much I married. That I much married. A, I married a very old man. <laughs> no, I'm seventy-five. Uh, you may. You're oh, sugars, I'm not. No, sorry. I'm seventy in in May. For anyone listening to this podcast who thinks that they can't do the Camino because of whatever limitation that they impose on themselves. I would suggest that maybe you could get in contact with Jared and Enda and um, talk to them about how you can overcome these seemingly huge problems by just simply getting out there and doing it. We weren't the only, we weren't the youngest people on the Camino, I can tell you that too. We met a great grandfather in his 80s doing it on the bicycle and uh, he had a couple of accidents on the bike, but every time he had the accident, he just got up again and said, isn't life good? It's nice to be alive. And we never met another 80 plus woman from uh, Germany doing the Camino. Um, and she was wearing the weather gear that she was wearing was sort of rather primitive, but, but she was surviving and, and, and having a great time. So I think it's just uh, obviously you've got to have a certain physical health, but apart from that, it's largely a state of mind. One of the reasons why I love doing these interviews related to the Camino because, as I say in the, at the start of the interview, that the Camino is a wonderful metaphor for life mm -hmm. and everything that you've said is just such a perfect example of that. It, it is really about your mindset. Obviously, there are people who um, have issues, but you talk about um, seeing the blind person on the Camino that had a, a carer with them and they, they had their walk, um, blind walking stick and they managed to do the Camino. He got down um, Zubiri, this big, steep incline. He didn't hold on to his hair. He had his stick and he went along. And he didn't fall, but Jared had a fall on us. Yeah. And that, <laughs> night, yeah, that night he was in our bedroom and everybody was offering him the bottom bunk. And he said, no, and he climbed up to the top bunk. And again, if and anyone's listening to this and they're putting off doing whatever it is in their life because of whatever mm -hmm. limitations they choose to put there, just have a listen to that, yeah. digest it and, and take it on board and realise that you've, we've only got one shot at this uh, as far as I'm aware, so we may as well make the most of it. So, You talk about uh, counting the kilometres on the, on the way markers and you mm -hmm. ask the question about how could we adopt a more relaxed view of life and the mm -hmm. journey of life and appreciating mm -hmm. what is in each kilometre rather than just 
counting them. Uh, what advice do you have for our listeners about how they can achieve that? Well, this is part of mindfulness, being living in the moment, not living in with regrets of the past or joys from the past or similarly anticipation of the future. Living there at that particular time, that particular section, that kilometre you're going to work, what beauty have you seen? Uh, just be aware of it. Don't be judgmental about it. Uh, don't be wishing for something better or anything like that. Just just take it for what it is. Carpe diem, see, seize the day. There are an infinite number of opportunities along the Camino. Seize every one that you can possibly get, grab hold of. <laughs> it's an interesting one. You also talk about letting go of the fears over which we have no control of. We move on and move on and move forward with, with faith and confidence. Faith is obviously, from reading your blog, an, an important thing to both of you. Um, yeah, you have a, a very, obviously, strong sense of social justice. You wouldn't be walking 800 kilometers across northern Spain for a charity in another country if you didn't. But you also have a very um, strong connection with your faith. Is that something that you felt was improved on the Camino or was made greater? How did, how did that um, reflect on the everyday walk? We were asked by some well-meaning people when we came back, did you find God on the Camino? <laughs> and I had to say, no, we didn't find God. But we found a lot of evidence of God's presence, particularly in, in the people we met, people indeed, the people who were generous. So for the benefit of our listeners, tell us about what you're doing with your pop-up albergue in, in Australia. <laughs> well, it's going to open on demand when people want to have an experience of what the Camino is like, especially for people that are actually training to actually go and do the Camino, or we've had a weekend where older people are people that are incapacitated in certain ways, like mobility, they've come, and it may only be that they've walked 500 metres, but it's to give them an idea and you know have a say a few days or a weekend living like a pilgrim like uh, lights out at 10 pilgrim meals and just run like an alberge mm -hmm. we've also got a very good friend phil Sardi, who when we came back built us the iron cross and people can bring their stones and put them there and he's made us the way marker signs and we've got one at our gate so, so many people spoke to us and said, oh, we'd love to do the Camino, uh, but we never will be able to. And that's what got us thinking. How can we try and give them some of the benefits that we receive from the Camino? Uh, and we thought, well, in this little way, we could do it through by turning our mountain holiday home into an albergue. A taste of the Camino in the Blue Mountains. Because not everybody has the ability to, to move to Spain and, and to do the Camino for you know for, for a month and taking time off work, etc. So it's fantastic that you are giving them that opportunity. I like the fact that you mentioned the Cross of Iron. If you could tell our listeners about how you initially got married, <laughs> and well, what happened at the Cross of Iron? Yes, we we've never got officially. We never officially proposed. He is going to be the spot where I'm going to do it. Well, I met Jared after three days. We decided we were going to get married. So neither of us proposed. When we went on the Camino, we came along one. It was a very, very foggy, misty morning, and we and with that, Jared just fell on his knee. And I thought, oh my God, his knee's given way. And I tried to pull him up, and he said, no. 
And I said, oh, how, is your knee okay? Because he's bad knees. So he says, yes. And he looked at me and he says, will you walk with me for the rest of my life? He proposed. He said, I've never proposed to you. He says, I can't propose now because we're already married, but I can ask you if you'd walk with me for the rest of your life. So, of course, I said yes. I just wanted to get off this bleak hill. <laughs> but... The funny thing is, we came back to Australia, of course, and he said, will you do another Camino? And I said to him, I should never have said yes on that. <laughs> oh, by the <laughs> He got you at a moment of weakness. Yes, yeah, so now <laughs> I, I have to do another one. <laughs> so was the proposal before or after you discovered that Gerard had got an Italian woman's underwear in his backpack? Oh, no. Was that before? That was before, well, Oh, well before, yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. So talking about the Camino, what were the highlights for you, if you can encapsulate them, please? Being actually able to do it physically and mentally because at times it got very hard when we went through liquid mud and rain and snow, minus five going over the Pyrenees. Mm -hmm. I had great doubts. I did an awful lot of training beforehand, but I I never thought I could do it. I thought I was going to be bandaged from knees down, but we didn't even get a blister. What about you, Gerard? What's uh, what was what's the highlight for you? I always thought of getting to the cross of iron was going to be the highlight because of being able to place one stone there and sort of symbolically say, I'm leaving behind all my anxieties, all my regrets. I knew that was going to be the most important place on the Camino to me. And I thought, even before I start, as long as I get to the cross by, I think I'll have done my Camino. Were there any lowlights for you? Well, I mean, you can often offer you things, things like mud and bad weather, but we we didn't look at, at least I didn't look at that as a low light. I looked at them all as opportunities. Uh, what can I learn from these things? Uh, I, mean, I, I, mean, I must admit, the mud on the, Tas, on the uh, Camino is nothing compared to walking across Tasmania, so I, I was well prepared for it. But, uh, but, but to, to find enjoyment, actually, in walking in the mud <laughs> rather than uh, finding a, a grudge. So, so I guess, for that point of view, my only lowlights was the fact that we would like to have got uh, mass more often on Camino. Most of the churches were closed. Uh, finding mass, for example, I was originally thought we'd probably get almost daily mass, but we couldn't. We were lucky to get mass on Sundays <laughs> in some parts of Spain because it was so so rural. And we walked in the village and we missed the mass being two hours earlier uh, and things like that. Yeah, that was, that was very hard. Mm-hmm. And an awful lot of the churches now, they're, they're closed or they've turned into museums. Mm-hmm. So on the Camino, what did you gain when you did the walk? If you want one word, please. Yeah. But you know what I think I got? What's the word? More tolerant of people. Like, I'm not going to mention names now, but there's a particular priest that I, when I go to Mass to his church, I come out angry. I say to church, I shouldn't have come out and feel angry after Mass. I'm going to the Anglicans next week. When I came back from the Camino, I can now go to his Mass and I, it doesn't worry me. Like, I used to come out nearly, I felt like getting a gun and shooting him. Yeah. <laughs> And I wasn't the only person. An awful lot of the parishioners have moved to the next parish on account of them. But, uh, you know, I can sit through Mass now and not consider a murder. Well, that's got to be a positive. So as a takeaway for our listeners, what are three ways that you live your Camino in your everyday life? 
Well, one for me is definitely be more tolerant and patient with people. And uh, I learned on the committee, everybody helps everybody. Uh, like if you go down with a sore leg, or everybody's around offering offering things. Mm. So looking after people and helping mm. whenever anybody needs anything. I think so, not to prejudge people because there are lots of temptations on the Camino and temptations in the sense of what you, what you do with your mind. For example, the man who rode a horse up the biggest hill of Osibiro and when he got to the top of the hill had a bicycle arranged from another man to ride down the far side. Now, people would say he's a fake pilgrim, but we haven't walked in his shoes. We don't know what his situation is. And I think we learn a lot about that, not to prejudge. Everybody's Camino is their own. Everybody's Camino is their own. Very wise words indeed. I'm going to finish up today with a quote from your blog, and it's a question that I'm going to put to both of you, but I'm also going to put it to my listeners to digest and think about. Do you believe that the more love you give out, the more you grow in stature, and our supply of love will increase? Well, this is all, it comes back to the whole concept of infinity, and uh, I think there's, love can be infinite. There is so much love out there, once you open yourself up to receiving that love, Yes, you, you get so much more back. But to start receiving that love, you have to take the first step and show love yourself. So that we, we really, really got so much more back from this Camino. Yeah, we'd like people to experience a little bit of what we were lucky and to experience. So if anyone wants to check out what Gerard and Enda are doing, they can go to CaminoReflections.Weebly.com. They'd love you to stop by, and I'd be very surprised if they weren't happy to have a chat as well. (laughs) So thank you so much for your time, Enda and Gerard. It's been wonderful. I could talk to you guys all day. As usual, I'd like to finish up with a very big and heartfelt Buen Camino to you both. Buen Camino. Merci (laughs) beaucoup.